Poland uh, things that come to mind not a whole lot no uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're gonna try to show you. Welcome to Polcast. Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 18th episode of Polcast. In this episode we will tell you... About lilac girls and what this mysterious phrase has to do with Poland. How Canadian teenagers of Polish descent are passionate about Poland. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. My husband is Polish. I'm from New York, and uh, I moved to Canada. And his family all speaks English, but but I felt like I wasn't connecting to them as much. If you know, it's like I want to learn Polish to be able to have some understanding of their culture and like their life, and it's so important to them because they moved in the late 90s. So considerate of you. <laughs> no, it is. Well, they're my family now, so it's like they're no, my family and I want to feel that way. And and, and, and w- if I may ask, why did you move to Canada from from? Because oh, I oh. just love my husband so much. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a Polish-Canadian. He's, he's he a Polish-Canadian Polish and we actually met in New York. He was, he was visiting New York. And, uh, was that and a good decision? It was fantastic. It's been great. There are stories that need to be told. This is one of them. The story of a New York socialite and philanthropist, Caroline Faraday. During the Cold War, 13 years after World War II, Caroline Faraday managed to achieve the unthinkable. She got a group of Polish women from behind the Iron Curtain to the U.S. so that they could undergo treatment for horrifying wounds which they had suffered during World War II. They were all prisoners of Hitler's only all-female concentration camp of Ravensbrück, where doctors, including the only woman surgeon Hertha Oberhauser, subjected them to cruel medical experiments. Very few survived. Martha Hall Kelly discovered the long-forgotten story when visiting Caroline Faraday's Connecticut house turned into a museum. After 10 years of research, her best-selling novel Lilac Girls was published. We reached the author in Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Lilac Girls is your debut novel. How did you get from the work of a copywriter to writing a historical novel, and especially about such an incredibly painful topic? I had my third child, and I figured that was it for my career. And it wasn't until I went up to the Bellamy Faraday House, this beautiful museum. uh, It's a home donated to Connecticut Landmarks by a woman named Caroline Faraday, a socialite, very wealthy woman, a New Yorker who had a summer home in Connecticut. And I went up to visit her gardens that were full of um, specimen lilacs. 
I love lilacs. And I took the house tour. And at the end of the tour, the tour guide uh, led us out to Caroline's desk. And on it was her big hulking typewriter that she used to write so many letters on because she was, or, you know, any injustice, she would fire off a letter. And on her desk, just as she left it, was a photograph of 52 smiling middle-aged women. And I asked the tour guide, who are those women? And she said, oh, those are Polish women, the survivors of a concentration camp called Ravensbrück, and they were medically experimented on there. And the ones that survived, Caroline fought to bring them to the United States. She reached out across the Iron Curtain once the women had gone back to Poland, and Caroline fought in 1958 to bring them to the U.S. She rallied America around them, and they came to America with Caroline. And I just thought, why does no one know this story? It's such a fantastic story, um, especially nowadays with the political climate and isolationism in the United States. I, I just thought people need to know the story. You did a lot of research. What kind of research and where? It took me 10 years and I had no intention of writing a book. I was just researching because I thought the story was interesting and I loved Caroline. I started in Caroline's archives, which are located under her old house, which was built in the 1700s. It is... Um, down in the old root cellar of the home. But then once I decided to write the book, I knew I had to go to Poland I, and to Germany because two of my point of view characters um, were from there. Uh, one is uh, Dr. Herta Oberhauser, who was one of the, uh, well, the only female doctor at the all-female camp. And so I had to go to Ravensbrück and I also had to go to Lublin, Poland, uh, where my other character, my Polish character, was from. Uh, she's, she's a composite of all of the different so-called rabbits that were experimented on at the camp, and they were all from Lublin. You, you had an amazing opportunity to attend the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Ravensbrück, and you also met Stasia, one of the survivors. Can you tell yes. me what you learned from this experience? Oh, it was incredible. Well, after researching them for 10 years, to finally, and I met two, um, it was like meeting my all-time favorite movie stars. They were just so wonderful. My friend Stacey Fitzgerald is doing um, a documentary on the true story behind Lilac Girls. And she interviewed the two women um, right there at the camp. And just walking around the camp with them, they told us, stories, and um, they were just so lovely and forgiving. Um, Stasha, I, I, I was saying to her, well, it must be really hard for you to come back to Robinsbrook, and because I, I held a grudge, honestly, after researching so much. I mean, the fact that she had been operated on several times, and, you know, these are wounds that can never heal physically. And so she said, oh, no, uh, I, I don't hold any resentment anymore. I have, have forgiven them. And I, I just was astounded by that. She said she goes to Germany every year, invited by Germany, and she travels around talking to schools and other people to make sure that this story stays alive. I had to come home and rewrite the end of the book because I had my Polish character being very resentful and very sad. And traveling around Ravensbrück really helped because you see the shooting wall where the women were marched to be executed. You see the punishment bunker, which is still there. You see the commandant's house that overlooks the camp. We know that not much was known about Caroline, who was called the Ravensbrück godmother. 
uh, in Poland. Now, were her deeds better known in the States? Poland was behind the Iron Curtain at that point, so no information got in about anything, really, or not, not much that wasn't um, you know, controlled. But here, it was very well publicized by the Saturday Review in the, 19, the late 1950s, but the story somehow just got buried and, and lost. And how long did they stay in the States? For about a year. Actually, one was married here and stayed in the United States. When they first came, they all went to different homes. It depended on uh, medical conditions that needed to be taken care of. Some went to Denver to tuberculosis hospitals. Uh, many stayed in New York because... Um, some of the, the larger hospitals in New York donated surgical time to repair their legs. They stayed until um, spring and went to California. All of them met in San Francisco. And they toured California. They went to Disneyland and um, Knott's Berry Farm. And they traveled across, back across the country, back east on Greyhound Bus. And they stopped at places along the way in Texas and in Las Vegas. Uh, I, I love the story about how one of the rabbits was in Las Vegas and using a slot machine. And she thought she had broken it because the money started pouring out <laughs> and, until people said, oh, no, 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 that's okay. You can, you know, you can keep that money. The trip ended in uh, Washington, D.C., where senators, including Senator Muskie, who had Polish heritage, talked about the rabbits in Congress, and they were just overjoyed. All of this was orchestrated by Caroline Faraday. She had an ulterior motive because she wanted to get reparations for the women. She didn't think it was fair that Germany was giving reparations to other groups, but not these Polish women, just because they were, in, in Germany's eyes, part of Russia. Were her efforts successful? Later, uh, she was successful. She worked with a few different uh, like pro bono lawyers to get them reparations. She put a lot of pressure on Bonn, and finally uh, she got reparations for the women. I think it was one of the happiest, proudest moments of her life. How come the perpetrator of these horrible medical experiments, uh, although she was sentenced for 20 years, I understand, served only a fraction of that sentence and uh, led a relatively comfortable life practicing medicine? Well, it turns out it was possible for a lot of Germans that had been sentenced. Fritz Fischer, uh, one of Hertha's colleagues, was also, he was actually sentenced for life, and he was um, set free very soon after Hertha. It was because the United States let them free. They were in the middle of the Cold War and afraid that Russia was going to get to the German secrets before they did. And they, it was all about currying favor with Germany. What has been the response to your book? Well, I, was, I thought no one was going to want to read this. And um, I thought it was something that just would interest me. But it was an instant New York Times bestseller. It, the week that it came out, uh, it hit the list. So um, it resonated with people right away. And uh, I'm still kind of pinching myself, and it's, it's just so much fun. I get emails from people every day saying, thank you for telling this story, because it's such an important one. Is there any plans to have a translator into Polish? Yes, it's happening right now. Uh, I've been in the works for over a year. I'm sure it's, it's due any day. Now, what are the plans? I mean, are, this is your first novel. Obviously, it's not the end, I understand. 
No, I am writing the prequel. It features Caroline's mother, Eliza. She had a very interesting family history uh, way back to the Mayflower. Helped the white Russians, uh, the displaced aristocracy, in displaced by the Bolsheviks. So I'm going to Russia in uh, September to do some research. And then I have a pre-prequel that I'm researching uh, that takes place in the Civil War that um, is all about Caroline's grandmother. But through this book, you got this connection with Poland, obviously. You visited Poland, you met a lot of Polish people. What, what, I mean, what are your impressions? That has been one of the biggest joys of writing this. Uh, when my son and I went there, well, I actually had to bribe him because he was uh, 17 at the time. And I told him that the Polish women were very, very beautiful. And he said, okay, I'll come with you. And it turned out to be true. We loved Poland. We had a lovely uh, interpreter with us who was a, a grade school teacher. Her name is Anna Sikonovich. And she, oh, she just introduced us to Poland, everything, the food, the driving around, and she showed us the sights. It was, it was so much fun. So I, I, had, I developed a very special place in my heart because it's impossible not to. After you go there and you see, go to Lublin and see the Museum Under the Clock, the Museum of Martyrdom, uh, to see Lublin Castle where the women were imprisoned, the uh, Lublin Ghetto, it's just such a moving experience. And I felt like Germany came out of it very well. This is just not fair. And somebody needs to know that uh, Poland spent so long behind the Iron Curtain. And, and now I get emails and reviews on Amazon from people that say, we had no idea this happened to Poland. And they feel really terrible about it because I think we had promised as a country to Poland to help them, and we didn't. met a book editor. I didn't even know she was a book editor. I started talking about Poland, talking about this story, and she said, you should write this. This, this would be a great novel. And she said, oh, and by the way, did you know I'm a book editor? So she said, all I need is a chapter. So that kind of bounced around my head for a while. I thought, oh, there's no way I can write a novel. But um, eventually I did. I, I went through a Starbucks drive through one day uh, to get my usual decaf cappuccino and by mistake, the barista gave me a, a caffeinated one, and I went home, and the story just started coming out. To learn more about the book and the story behind it, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. Many Polish pilots and ground personnel took part in the Battle of Britain. The legendary Squadron 303 was the most famous, but there were at least a few more. What happened with these men after the war? Many came to North America and worked in the space and aviation industries. One of these projects was the Avro Arrow, a Canadian-designed and built jet interceptor. In the post-World War II period, the Soviet Union began developing a fleet of long-range bombers with the ability to deliver nuclear weapons across North America and Europe. The main threat was from high-speed, high-altitude bombing runs launched from the Soviet Union, traveling over the Arctic and aimed at military bases and built-up industrial centers in Canada and the United States. To counter this threat, Western countries undertook the development of interceptors that could engage and destroy these bombers before they reached their targets. The first Canadian Avro Arrow was rolled out to the public on the 4th of October 1957. 
the same day as the launch of Sputnik 1. Its flight testing began on 25th of March 1958, and the design quickly demonstrated excellent handling and overall performance, reaching almost twice the speed of sound. And the test pilot during this historic flight was Janusz Żurakowski, a Polish pilot from the Battle of Britain, one of the best there, an outstanding fighter pilot, squadron leader, aerobatic performer and test pilot, acknowledged as one of the best aerobatic pilots in the UK, and then, after immigrating to Canada, one of the most famous Poles in Canadian history. In his aviation career, he test-piloted over 60 types of aircraft. As an aerobatic pilot, in 1951, he created his own new aerobatics maneuver, the Zurabatic cartwheel, still believed to be one of the most difficult. He was also the first Canadian pilot to break the sound barrier in 1952. The Avro Aro program, which was Zhurakovsky's life passion, was unexpectedly scrubbed by Canadian government, allegedly for political reasons. Very upset and disappointed, Zhurakovsky and his family moved to Barry's Bay, Ontario, to build Cartuzzi Lodge, a tourist lodge and resort which he and his family operated for over 40 years. During this period, he used his superb engineering skills when he played with a number of sailboats, catamaran and ice boats of his own design and construction. Two of his hydrofoil boats are still used by the Cartuzzi Lodge renters. Zhurakovsky, called Zhura, received many medals, awards and honors for his achievements. He was named a member of Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame. In 2003, a year before his death, the local community of Barry's Bay created and opened the Zhurakovsky Park to honor this world-renowned pilot. We are full of compliments when children born and raised in one country can speak the language of their immigrant parents. But there are some children who not only master the language, but are passionate about the country of their ancestors and know as much about it as their peers living there. This year, the Polish Language Teachers Association of Canada organized the first ever multi-stage contest where elementary and high school students from Polish language schools in Canada and the U.S. competed in their knowledge about Poland, history, geography, culture, traditions. Right after their victory in the Jeopardy-style finals, I talked to the three winners in the elementary school age group, Monika Grzywa, David Czechowski, and Andrian Pańczyk, from the Saturday School Szkolny Punkt Konsultacyjny in Toronto. My name is Adrian. Um, I am 11 years old. Okay. Uh, my name is David, and I'm 12 years old. Mm-hmm. My name is Monica, and I'm 13 years old. And today, you just won the first prize <laughs> in the first ever fantastic contest about Poland. How do you feel? Awesome. Uh, mixed feelings. Well, because you always want everyone to win, but then it's like only one person can win. So. So you would, it would make you happy if everybody could win. Such a good guy. Well, it feels great to it win. It feels great. Yeah. Did you expect to win? Actually, a tiny bit. After a two-hour conference with our teacher, we were doing it for so long, just studying. So we had a tiny feel from the half-finals, semi-finals, uh, because we won those. So we had kind of like a little, very tiny 
um, expectation, mm -hmm. uh, but we thought that the other teams would be as good as ours or maybe even better. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we were we weren't expecting so good teams, but there were good teams. Wow. So how about you? So yesterday when we had this with all the other schools, they were all so big compared to me, and I'm like, oh no, there's there's they're gonna be they're like two years older than me, and they're gonna be smarter. They're gonna have more memory. So I got so it was like I thought like I had hope that we were gonna win, but then I was a little scared of the competition. How about you? I think everyone had like a good chance of winning, but um, in the end we ended up winning. Right. Now you all go to one Saturday school, right? You love your school. What is it about the school that makes it so good? The teachers are uh, great. They have lots of contests and lots of um, interesting stuff that they can do. Second of all, there's a lot more information than different schools and a lot different level of teaching. And it's just more advanced. I've always liked history and geography, but which they don't te in my grade they don't teach. Um, in Canadian school, all they teach us is SCS, but that's pioneers, the Civil War. So and they don't teach us geography. So in grade f in grade four Polish school, when I joined, I was really excited about uh, history and geography, and that's just what I liked so far. Um, I really like our Polish school because we learn a lot more than all the other Polish schools, and the teachers are just really great. So so what it really is the the recipe for success is what great teachers. I think yes, because if you don't have a good teacher, then you can't really be on the same level but if your teacher's strict and she wants to get thing or he wants to get things done mm -hmm. then he will get it done mm -hmm. so the kids can have uh, the best they can do mm -hmm. out of everything now if you were to change something in that school like to make it even better what would that be that's a hard yeah. you know the answer uh no polish no polish like no grammar just 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 uh, history and geography, that's all I would want. Well, but history and geography in Polish, though? Yes, but not like Polish grammar, reading, writing, not that stuff. Uh -huh, you don't like that. Okay, and you don't really feel like you're missing out, you don't have Saturdays free, you, don't, you can't do this, that? I actually do sometimes feel that because when my friends go to different events, mm -hmm. uh, for example, skating or skiing, mm -hmm. and they invite me, I can't go because of Polish school. And so sometimes I think I really don't want to go mm -hmm. because I want to go with my friends, right? So it kind of takes my Saturday away, like free time, right? But then now I'm just used to it, only having a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, whenever so my friends, oh, whenever I had a, so I was invited to almost every single birthday party in my class. So and they were always on Saturdays, so I could never make it because I had a police school. Yeah. So, but these parties were yes. during the day? Yeah. Oh, I see. So, like, day parties. Yeah, like noon. noon. Okay. And would you want to participate in this kind of thing again? Yes. Yes? It's, it's really fun to, like, learn new things and um, experience this. Uh-huh. It was really fun. It, it gives you a feeling of nervousness before, then it gets you a little excited in the middle, and then at the end, some, you, sometimes you have mixed emotions. So, it's... I would, I would do it for sure. Um, I think it was really fun learning new stuff. And at the beginning, you felt really nervous. Like, when, like last night before this, I couldn't fall asleep from nerves. <laughs> this morning, I went to church. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then five minutes before, it started going away. And 
when I went on the stage, I didn't feel nervous anymore. It's like saying, uh, like, people went to war during World War II, and they were really nervous before they went into battle, but when they were in battle, they didn't feel anything. So it's that kind of feeling. How important is this whole Polish thing for you? I know you speak Polish with your parents, and uh, but how important is it? I think it's important because it's like our nationality, it's where our parents came from, and it's like important to know about like who we are, like as our history. It's really important to spread the Polish culture th- throughout the world because there's more em- em- immigrants coming to different countries, so we want to spread our Polish Polish culture to to our children, so then so they can spread it to their children and then etc. I think it's important because just like uh, David said, to make our com- Polish community greater and more advanced. Because um, if if we don't do that, then our the the Polish the Polish uh, com- community in other countries will start falling and the numbers will go decreasing and decreasing and second of all it's good for second language for example during high school you have another language and you can get a credit for that so that's also very good so you have you're ready for high school in that subject and it's just an extra language that will help you later on and it's useful In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. If you want to see the spectacular, historic city of Krakow in a way that will let you fully experience its ambiance, You don't want to drive a car or take a bus. You may want to hire a horse-drawn carriage, Doroshka. There is a real magic in the horse-drawn carriage ride, especially when you ride along the narrow, cobblestone streets of Kraków's old town. It's been immortalized in a famous poem by one of the best Polish poets, Konstanty Ildefons Gałczyński. During this magical ride, while the soft clop of the hooves on the pavement carries down the street, You can admire medieval Krakow fortifications, St. Mary's Basilica, the Renaissance Cloth Hall, or the magnificent Baroque Church of Saints Peter and Paul. We highly recommend this comfortable and probably the most romantic way of sightseeing in Krakow. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it?
You've been listening to the 18th episode of Polcast. Polkas is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the next episode, we will tell you how an American from Ohio teaches himself Polish, how Poles watch foreign films on television, and how an actor from the Polish town of Opole became a Canadian theatre director and succeeded in building bridges between Poland and Canada. And we'll leave you today with another Polish Polonaise, this time by Henryk Wieniawski, the most famous Polish violin composer.